Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, Head of UK Rate Strategy, and I'm joined today by our Global Market Specialist, Jan Nevruzzi and Joanne Spadiga. Okay, Jan, we always joke that you have the unfortunate job of having to record Bondcast on a Thursday ahead of NFPs or whatever data print that's going to be out of the US on a Friday. But never has that been more true than last week, I think. Uh, it feels like a long time ago now, but it would be very remiss of us not to discuss that payrolls report since it was seemed so pivotal for the markets that that were kind of one directional before that. So let's talk about that first. How has that kind of changed your outlook? And um, what's your take, I guess, on, on that number? Yeah, like you pointed out, uh, without a question, it was an extremely strong uh, payroll day. Uh, we added over uh, 550,000 jobs last month, and the revisions for the past year showed that the economy added even more jobs than what we pre- previously thought. Uh, that erased all of the post-Fed gains, uh, perhaps rightfully so, as people started questioning, well, is the labor market a little, it, since it's too tight, or, or I should say it's stronger than we expect, does that mean that wage pressures are not going to come down as, as fast as we hope? Does that mean it's going to keep fueling inflation higher and higher? That is yet to be seen, of course, but it certainly changed the tone of the uh, Fed officials that spoke afterwards. Uh, it led to the, this big sell-off on the day of as uh, uh, rate cuts and kind of like the terminal rate got pushed higher. Rate cuts got removed. Some of the rate cuts got removed from the curve. And overall, it presented like a conflicting story of some of the data that has been showing weakness, but a labor market that remains still very strong despite say, uh, drop in spending in certain categories, uh, which you would think would a natural spill into more unemployment, we still haven't seen that. And the the, the link between unemployment and inflation is kind of shifting a sequence, like we've previously pointed out. Uh, you're, you're seeing uh, wage inflation coming off from its peak, but unemployment keeps uh, coming down as well, which uh, you, know, you would expect to see uh, joblessness increasing before wage pressures coming down on the traditional economy theory. How does that leave your outlook for the Fed that you kind of have long been on a slightly more hawkish spectrum than the market and expecting Fed funds to get to a higher rate this year and, and not expecting them to cut? Have you revised that outlook up even further or are you kind of waiting to see particularly, I guess, ahead of CPI next week? Yeah, we haven't revised it. I should say our uh, our economics team were vindicated after uh, after this job number because post the Fed market priced out possibility of cuts, but we priced then sorry possibility of of hikes in May. We priced in uh, more cuts for the rest of the year. Our view going uh, into the previous Fed and into the next one was that we will get uh, two more twenty five base point hikes in in March and in May, which would bring the terminal range to the five five to five and a quarter range, uh, similar to what the Fed projected in December. We haven't changed that. Market has now fully priced it in, I should say, perhaps slightly even more than that. So it, it is exactly where we think uh, Fed funds future should trade at sitting for the next few months. Uh, we haven't updated our Fed forecast in a sense that we still don't expect cuts for the remainder of the year. Whether they add or keep hiking in June is yet to be seen. I mean, if, the, if inflation doesn't really kind of doesn't really show this trend toward lower parents on a monthly basis. And if we keep adding payrolls with anything remotely uh, as strong, then yeah, the Fed can keep hiking, of course. But uh, so far, we're, we're maintaining that they'll get to the five, five and a quarter range and pause and evaluate. 
And what about the Fed speak that we've had this week? You know, it's certainly not been a quiet week when it comes to central bank rhetoric all across the globe. We've had lots of Fed speakers. I guess Powell was the kind of headline speech this week. Is there anything that we've learned from them? You know, obviously all these, this kind of what the market perceived to be a very dovish shift by central banks came before this, you know, whopping payrolls number. Have they changed their tone since last week, do you think? Is there anything... New, any new guidance from them or, or not really? So the main uh, speaker was Chair Powell on Tuesday uh, where he was interviewed in Washington and and really expectations I think were pretty similar going to the to the Fed meeting. Everyone was expecting him to push back against market and, and say, well, listen, we have a lot more to do and deliver this hawkish tone. I simply don't think we got that because jobs are important, yes, but inflation is the number one priority right now and we have an inflation print due next week so our view was that he simply wouldn't lock himself into a position to say well see we need more hike uh more hikes than what was priced in or we got to do uh, a specific x amount more or uh, something along those lines and he he avo- avoided that i'm sure they want to see what the uh what the monthly inflation number will be as well and after that we can get a little bit more specifics in in uh commentary we had some other officials uh, saying that, well, if jobs remain as they are, we might have to do more. But nothing really that indicated people have substantially reevaluated their outlook on monetary policy. Nothing like what we had last June, for example, when uh, there was kind of like this aha moment for the Fed where uh, they got together and said, it's time to wrap it up and it's time to wrap it up really quickly. So uh, we will see. And if inflation does remain strong, uh, well, uh, I should say next week the number comes stronger than what people expect. I think Chair Powell will have an opportunity at the end of the month when he appears in front of Congress uh, for his semi-annual testimony to kind of uh, slot that in and, and basically hint that, listen, we have forecasts coming up in March. We probably will nudge them a little bit higher. or It is likely that we could see a higher uh, terminal rate based on what the data has been showing so far. And as far as inflation goes next week, uh, I'll quickly kind of point out that uh, we do expect a relatively firm read at 0.3 in core, which is just below market pricing right now. Uh, but it still l- remains at a level that is elevated and should, uh, you know, it, it should keep the Fed on their toes. Yeah, all eyes on inflation next week. Then. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess that's kind of enough for the, for the US for now. And switching a little bit to the UK, we spoke a little bit at NFPs and course that was a very very strong number we had boe last week too not just the fed uh and you know co- combination of the british central bank and, and data from globally i should say that was pretty strong where does that left the market and maybe even more importantly your views that's more what makes yeah yeah i mean uh, we've kind of been through the the background of, of the market reaction over the last couple of days but i guess just to go back to the post boe market reaction because I think we probably po- spoke on this podcast at the time last week and said that it felt like the market reaction was a little bit overdone. Uh, and actually, you know, once we'd got back to our desks and, and by the time the close of that day, you know, we'd we'd followed through on that much more strongly. So by that point, it really felt like the market reaction was overdone. Although the BOE was dovish and it was more dovish than we were expecting and the market was expecting, you know, it wasn't like they just announced QE or even like they'd announced rate cuts and nothing of the sort. So it did feel like the market reaction was 
telling in that it felt like perhaps that was a change in perception of the market skew of risks around the inflation outlook. Now, obviously, we've given a lot of that back since NFPs, and perhaps that's brought you know a bit of a, a risk you know, to the other side now in terms of the inflation outlook. But against that backdrop and also against the backdrop of everything that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks on this podcast with regards to the potential downside risks to supply stemming from uh, the DMA or Treasury relying on diversified funding risks and perhaps some upside risks to demand, you know, if the market becomes more comfortable as central banks are getting more comfortable that that we've kind of turned a corner in inflation, that might see a, a pickup in demand for duration in general, but perhaps also UK assets. I think all of that together has led us to slightly revise down our 10-year gilt target. So we're still very bearish. We're still much more bearish than the market, than the forwards are pricing in. Um, but we're just looking now for a 10-year um, gilt in the middle of this year to get to 375 versus previously 4.1. So it's not kind of a complete change in the narrative and it's certainly not really a change of the drivers of that bearish outlook. But it did feel like the market reaction um, last week that that kind of followed through on Friday morning up until payrolls was pretty telling in terms of the way that you know the market was starting to think about inflationary risks. Yeah, and and you mentioned your, your target, but how about the curve this week? and? or generally your outlook, because guilds have been underperforming this week, but it hasn't really been particularly the 10-year point, but the front end has been driving down the performance. What has been the you know the catalyst behind that? Yeah, that's been a little bit frustrating, actually, because although we have this kind of bearish 10-year view, I think that that comes about with the curve steepening, particularly the, that kind of twos, tens part of the curve, where that's currently inverted, I think that can re-invert. So although the underperformance hasn't been that frustrating, the fact that it's kind of brought about a curve flattener in, in that front end has, has been a little bit frustrating. I think there's a couple of reasons. And I guess, first of all, I would focus on the supply risks for general cross-market underperformance of gills. I mean, perhaps it's not surprising. They've outperformed kind of consistently over the last couple of weeks, but but certainly last week after the central banks. So perhaps they were due to give a little bit of that back anyway. And like I say, the market reaction was a bit overdone. But we have had a relatively heavy supply week this week. You know, we've had the DMO come twice and the Bank of England come twice. And perhaps there was just a little bit of kind of, you know, supply saturation in there that um, the market, you know, a bit of supply fatigue perhaps even that, that, that was causing this underperformance. And I think that's important when we think about the supply risks down the line because, you know, I've been flagging for so long that the DMO coming a couple of times a week and the Bank of England coming a couple of times a week, it's going to start to feel normal from April onwards once we get into the new fiscal year. And I think that, you know, the takeaway for me, especially when you look at today's Bank of England auction, so Thursday today, the short end auction, which has caused even further underperformance at the front end of the curve, given that that was, well, sort of technically uncovered is, is the language that's being using, although that's not 100% what really was the case because there were more bids than the 750 million that the Bank of England wanted to sell. They just didn't want to sell them at that price. So that's caused a bit of a knee-jerk underperformance in, in the front end of the curve as well. As that's the first QT auction that we've had that has been you know uncovered, if we want to use that word. you know If you remember at the beginning of this year when they were doing financial stability sales at the long end, those auctions were being taken down you know, very well, surprisingly well, I would have said. 
And in fact, all of the smaller regular QC auctions that we've had so far, demand has been on average about two times more than than what the Bank of England have been wanting to sell. So it was interesting to me that in a week where we've had kind of consistent auctions, actually the, the last one of the week didn't go so well. And perhaps that's indicative of the kind of supply fatigue that's to come. And if the market's going to take down all of this additional supply, the clearing price needs to shift. Now, I don't think it's all negative kind of, you know, the takeaways from today's auction that's led to that front end underperformance. I think that there's, um, uh, you know, I think it's a positive in the sense that perhaps this means that the bank isn't as price insensitive as we thought they were. You know, they're, they're rejecting bids. They're not selling 650 million in every auction at all costs. Um, so I don't think it's as as obvious as just saying this is a clear, you know, this is a clear risk for gilts and, and this is going to continue now. But I do think that there's perhaps takeaways for how the market's going to trade you know, around these supply events in in the next fiscal year. I guess the other final point that I'd make around front-end underperformance is, you know, like everywhere, we've had a bit of hawkish commentary this week. We've had Catherine Mann on the wires on Monday. We've had the Treasury Select Committee today. I don't think anything really changes the messaging from what the Bank of England told us last week. I think the messaging last week was pretty clear that they think that we're close to a peak. Um, and you know the data will guide what their next steps are um but they clearly told us that that in their view the risk was skewed quite significantly to the upside on inflation and that would likely necessitate more hikes um but i just think perhaps both catherine mann who's a you know a well-known hawk anyway but certainly today in the treasury select committee they were really emphasizing those upside risks to inflation again which i think the market um was kind of choosing to skim over a little bit in its post-BOE reaction function last week. The only dove that we had really on on the council today, um, or sorry, in front of the Treasury Select Committee, was Tenraro, who you know is known to be the the leading dove on the committee anyway. Um, and I think it's just worth mentioning that she, although she made a lot of comments around thinking about when the timing might be for cutting rates, she's actually due to roll off. Her second term ends in. Um, the summer of this year so june will be the last meeting at which she casts a vote um and so you know perhaps that also at the margin gives the the committee a bit of a hawkish skew going forwards okay well we will have some very important data from the uk next week too so do you just want to give us a rundown on what we should expect and what are the key things to look out for yeah i guess you know markets now i think this the key message from last week is that central banks are moving away from this period of forward guidance that we've known for so long, both through the kind of low for longer era, but then also through this kind of rates are going significantly higher era in the post-COVID world, to now being much more data dependent, um, which means that as we have seen already, you know, every data point and every central bank speak gets, you know, a lot more focus and a lot more attention than perhaps it, it warrants or normally does. So that does leave next week's data as pretty important. It's the big data week anyway in the UK. We'll get inflation labor market data and retail sales, um, obviously slightly overshadowed a little bit by US inflation, but it's important for us UK watchers nonetheless. Um, you know, obviously the, you know, inflation is the Bank of England's target, but I think actually this week it might be the labor market data that that's more key, given that that's really what the Bank of England's watching in terms of second round effects and 
and to judge the persistence of inflationary pressures, I suppose. So I think it's well understood now that the peak is probably in in the inflation profile. It's well understood that inflation will come down this year. It's just a question mark of how quickly. And the key to how quickly it comes down lies in the UK within the labour market. So we'll be watching that most closely. Retail sales obviously important too, but it's it's inflation and the labour market data that is still sending strong inflationary signals rather than you know all the other things we've we've been looking at a kind of dashboard of indicators that that the bank of england might be watching and most other things are flashing kind of disinflationary compared to previous cycles previous cutting cycles that is um and you know it's it's only really the labor market that that's still running very hot and obviously in, inflation as well so that's what we'll be watching most closely next week and I'm sure the market will too in this kind of data-dependent world. But anyway, that's enough on the UK. Let's switch over to Europe. Joanne, obviously, given everything we've already said, it's been a big week in Europe too, following the ECB uh, and the NFPs. What's, I guess, been the ECB's take since the meeting last week? Is is there any sort of updated guidance that that's mattered? Yeah, so we had quite a big rally uh, last week after the ECB, like uh, the rest of the world, really. Um, Anything that was less than the super hawkish Lagarde from December was really interpreted by the by the markets as being a bit more dovish. Uh, and then the NFPs kind of retraced that a little bit the day after. But I think what's been really interesting since the meeting has really been uh, the ECB hawks, who do seem quite dissatisfied with the way in which markets have um, taken in the message from uh, Thursday's meeting. We've, quite, we've got quite a lot of pushback there from the hawks saying that March does not necessarily mark the end for ECB rate, um, rate hikes. We saw Schnabel this week and Klaus not as well kind of confirm this message. And it's pretty obvious what the Hawks are worried about in its inflation. Um, just before I kind of expand on what the Hawks think, we did get this German CPI number this morning, which um, to remind you, last week we didn't have when the Euro area CPI print was released. And this kind of print did confirm the story that even though it was higher than expected, uh, or sorry, higher than um, the Eurostat number last week, it did kind of confirm the story that Euro-area inflation is coming down. Um, and headline inflation really is coming down. But I think what the, the hawks are more worried about, of course, is core inflation, which has been a bit stickier. And secondly, of course, wage inflation. Um, the argument being that wage expectations are higher uh, and that bargaining power as well is sad because of the cost and cut of the last year. So that's kind of what the hawks are worried about. But to put that into perspective, um, the euro area wage inflation data indicates that wage inflation is around 3% in the euro area. So not quite a wage spiral worthy just of of, of yet. Um, I do think what will be important for the next meeting really is the forecasts for inflation coming up. Okay, so thinking about that next meeting then, has anything over the last week kind of changed your view on their policy stance? I know when we spoke last week with Giles, he talked about the fact that you were revising up your um, forecast for the deposit rate. Um, is that revised up view still holding or have you kind of changed how hawkishly you think the ECB might react going forwards? And perhaps you can just remind our listeners what that revised up view is as well. Yeah, so we've upgraded our terminal rate forecast now from 3% to 3.25%, just on the basis of the ECB meeting last week and them kind of emphasizing that they're staying the course. Uh, so we do think it's going to be a 50 basis point hike in March and then a 25 basis point hike in May. Um, so the Hawks haven't really changed our perspective on this, really. Uh, we think, obviously, the Hawks are being Hawks and talking up inflation. 
But like I said, I think the inflation forecast that the ECB used last time around really was a bit update, wasn't really a bit outdated. We've had uh, more than 60 basis points, around 60 basis points in hikes added in since December. And energy prices have also come down quite a lot. So there's a lot more information for the ECB to have to really incorporate, incorporate into their forecasts. I think secondly, we've got three, um, we've also really got to think about uh, monetary, monetary policy, the policy lags and how that impacts kind of rates going forward. Um, and as well as that, I do think kind of 3 to 3.25% for us does seem more in line with a soft landing, which I think that the ECB should really try and navigate given what we're seeing in the macro backdrop. So inflation coming down with growth rate are really um, kind of staying quite resilient for now. So a soft landing scenario where they get to three, three to three point two five percent is what we really think the ECB should be um, aiming for. Um, markets are pricing in more like three point four percent to three point five percent at the moment, uh, with some rate cuts at the end of this year. And to me, that really does signal some kind of policy error by the ECB, which I do think they will be quite keen to avoid. But obviously, we're really uh, watching markets meeting to understand what they're seeing in the forecast and how they are seeing things going forward. Yeah, I think that lag transmission mechanism of, of monetary policy is important. That's something that we've been talking about a lot in the UK as well. And, and you know, disregarding that risks over tightening really in this macro backdrop. Okay, sticking with the ECB then, but a little bit off topic. And it's disappointing that Giles isn't here this week because this is surely his favorite topic. Uh, <laughs> but they kind of surprised markets this week um, with their announcement on the remuneration of government deposits. Um, you know, we knew that that an announcement was coming, but kind of thought that that would be closer to the end of April. How did that square with expectations then, despite the fact that it came much earlier than expected? And how does that leave your view on swap spreads going forwards? Yeah, so it was a bit of a surprise with the announcement this week. Uh, I do think that some of the widening we've seen in swap spreads over the last kind of few weeks really has been about some nervousness in markets that the ECB will kind of take this out completely and push it, push the remuneration rate right back down to 0%. So to some extent, this kind of shaving was a positive surprise. And we did see asset swaps tighten a bit as a result. Uh, for us, we do think that adjustment does put asset swaps, at least for now, at fair. Um, in the short term, there are obviously some things we think that could lead to widening pressures. For example, lots of supply coming, which could be swapped. Uh, but I think kind of longer term tactically, what we think for swap spread is, is that they will tighten. Um, kind of a similar story to what we've said uh, previously on the, on the tightening story, really, where lots of the things we saw last year, like um, collateral scarcity, is likely to be coming to an end because of this like big uh, surge in supply we have this, this year, as well as QT as well. Okay, great. All right, let's wrap it up there then this week. Thank you both for joining me and thank you to our listeners for listening in as well. Uh, and just a reminder that if you liked today's episode, please don't forget to hit the like button and click subscribe so you get the latest episodes as soon as they're available. Thanks. See you next week.